1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens.
1: And I'm Matthew Bivens.
0: And this is the Doing It at Home podcast. The only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them.
1: Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood.
0: All right. You ready, babe?
1: Yep. Let's do it, mama.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Doing It At Home podcast. Today's episode that we are sharing with you originally published in April of 2018, and it is with our great friend, Deb Flaschenberg. Deb is the founder and the director of the Prenatal Yoga Center in New York. She's also a labor support doula, Lamaze childbirth educator, and mother of two. After the challenging birth of her first child, Deb became incredibly interested in pelvic health and has since earned her pelvic floor yoga certification. And for those who love podcasts... Of course you do, because you're listening to our show, you can turn in to Deb's show. She is a fellow podcaster and hosts the show Yoga Birth Babies, and she speaks with some of the world's leading experts in pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, and parenthood. So we have links to all the ways you can connect with Deb, learn more about her, listen to her show, go to her website. Also, if you are a yoga teacher or are in training to be a yoga teacher, Deb has amazing resources for you there on her website. So from actual yoga teacher training to courses and all sorts of resources that you can utilize. So again, check out the show notes, the show description in whatever device you are listening to so you can get those links. And also when you sign up for her newsletter, you get a free ebook, A Week of Restorative Prenatal Yoga. So that would be something really lovely and yummy for you pregnant mamas out there who are interested in some yoga, A Week of Restorative Prenatal yoga heck yeah so thank you so much to deb for joining us and just being a part of our community and we're so happy to share this conversation with you again and go check out her show please yoga birth babies go listen right after you listen to this episode so quick word from our sponsor and we'll dive right in with the lucky land slots you
2: can get lucky just about anywhere
1: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Hi, Deb. Welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. How are you? I'm so
2: great. How are you doing?
0: Wonderful. I'm really excited to talk to you because before we hit record, we realized and kind of identified all of the things we could potentially jump into. So this is going to be fun and exciting, and we'll just where it takes us. Um, and we were also talking about the roles and the hats that you wear and how there are quite a few. So I would love to start there by you sharing all of the things that you're involved in right now. And then we'll kind of turn back time for a second and you can share how you got to that point, if that's cool with you.
2: Sure, absolutely. Oh, there are many a hat. and I feel like, <laughs> I feel like the more I get into my life and career, there's just more hats. Um, well, I started before I even became a wife and mother. I started with the prenatal yoga center. I founded it almost 16 years ago. Wow. Um, I know. Crazy.
0: Congratulations. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. It was kind of like my first child. Um, <laughs> and sometimes it feels like it still is. I love my kids, but this takes the most energy at times. Um, uh, so it's a resource center that really focuses on the expectant and new person and parent, and it covers really everything. It's kind of a one-stop shop. And that's what I had in mind. I wanted it to be more than just yoga. I want it to be a whole resource of community and support, because, especially in New York, where many people show up and they may not have family around. Many people show up for career or, you know, big adventure, and we don't have family around. So mm. community support is different, I think, than in other parts of the country where they may have family support already there. And then, of course, it's the pre- and postnatal yoga, and we do all sorts of childbirth education and new mom support and really everything from the beginning of pregnancy all the way up to a year after. We try to help the person through that transition. So that takes up a lot of time. And then for about 10 years, as a labor support doula. And during that time, I also got my Lamaze certification. And then finally, I had my own kids. Um, So I kind of went backwards. A lot of people start prenatal with, with being pregnant and jumping into that world, like, Oh, I like this. I like supporting women. I actually started well before having kids, I think, which is why I was able to sustain the business because I find having kids and you probably know this, it takes up a lot of time and energy. Um, (laughs) I don't think I would have been able to really get the foundation of the studio and the trajectory had I had kids earlier, but that could have just been, you know, my experience. Right. Right. Very
0: cool. And so then why do you think, you, you were in that space and in that work and, you know, supporting pregnant women and mothers and families before you had your own family, what, what was that? Or what was that call or move?
2: It was very odd. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I was teaching another style of yoga that I just wasn't into. It didn't really allow for personal expression. It was kind of a set series. And I didn't like not being able to check in with the people and be like, what do you need? And how can I help you? And so I was talking to a group of people and someone mentioned prenatal was, and this was, you know, 17 years ago at this time, which was really underserved. And I looked into it and I got a training, but the big change for me is when one of my students was doing a fellowship at a hospital nearby and invited me to see some births. Cause at that point I hadn't seen birth. I hadn't been around it. Um, my sibling, my brother hadn't had a child. So I really didn't know it more than studying it. But it was that time up at the hospital that I saw what I would consider a typical hospital birth, and I saw many that day, that was just a turning point of, I need to really understand what's going on in the U.S. hospitals and give that information to the students, because I was only modifying poses. I really wasn't teaching what I consider prenatal yoga, which is more of an education involved with the yoga. So I left that birth and I, I signed up for a doula certification and I just jumped in and I started to really relay the information I learned as a doula throughout the yoga class. And then I piled on because I had the kids, I felt like I needed, um, a little bit more awareness because people often like, Oh, you didn't have kids. How can you teach this? So then I, that's when I did my Lamaze certification to add on more education. And then I even went down to the farm and studied their midwifery assistant program. So I just wanted to keep learning to give to the students and I was surprised if you had asked me would you be an advocate for women's birth you know years ago I'd be like are you kidding me but it's become a passion
0: wow that's so cool and just to note you mentioned the farm that is where Ina May and her community kind of laid down roots and, and created that whole movement correct
2: yeah, so she was there. She wasn't the main um, teacher. Uh, Pamela Hunt was our main teacher, but Ina Mae did do a couple of lectures with us. So it was pretty cool because I had read her books, and mm. that was part of my teacher training to read it, and to be on the farm and even see those old school buses that they were driving around the country. It was, you know, I'm a birth geek, so it was really special to me. Other people might be like, it was just a farm, you know, with lots of birthing. Um, but I really enjoyed it, and I felt like I learned a lot.
0: That is So cool. I love that. Yeah. When you mentioned that, I totally get it. You know, the birth geek thing and almost like the, uh, you know, celebrities of the birth world, if if that's, you know,
2: taking it (laughs) a little far,
0: but, you know, getting excited to hear about people in the space and what they're doing, especially when they've done such great work, like everyone at the farm has.
2: um. Oh yeah. I was major awestruck when I met Ina May. I had the same thing when I I actually interviewed Penny Simkin and I'm like, Mm. you're like my John Lennon. And she's like, really? I mean, like, you know, there's certain people, if you're in the birth world and you've been studying and educating yourself from these people's words to talk to them and meet them, it really it was astounding. So that, I was really fortunate. So
0: cool. And and so then what happened in the time space from you're doing all of that work to then having your own children and how did what you had been up to influence your your choices as far as pregnancy and birth and postpartum?
2: Well, I was really fortunate that the OBGYN I had been with since I was 22 knew the work I did because I would see him in the hospitals and he was really cool. He'd be like, hey, Deb, you know, just, you know, try to take a rest. He saw me, you know, and one time he actually pulled me aside and he's like, just take second time labors. They're so much quicker. Um, you know, so I had to <laughs> So I had a relationship with him and he knew what I did. And I would reach out to him for questions when I came up to something with one of my blogs or even just as a doula. So when I did get pregnant, he wasn't surprised and was actually really supportive of my birth choice to work with a midwife and do a home birth. In fact, I was really lucky that he actually was our backup. So should I need to transfer to a hospital? he was going to come in. In fact, what I didn't know was during my first birth, which was very long, he and my midwife were in communication. Wow. Um, i transferred, transfer, which is very special and very lucky. I know that doesn't happen. So I had been with, you know, your more traditional um, OB. And then, you know, for my own births, having watched hospital births, and this might come up in our talk about kind of the fear of, of labor, but having watched hospital births, one of my biggest fears was actually having to birth in a hospital. Mm. Uh, it's not where I felt the safest. I felt safer wanting less intervention unless it was medically necessary. And for me, that meant a home birth. And unfortunately, the, the birth center that we have in New York City, the, one, the freestanding one closed, and then we have one that's part of what's now called Sinai West. When I was birthed, it was called St. Um, Luke's Roosevelt. It was really hard to actually get into that birth center. Maybe the maybe the care provider was on the L and D floor and couldn't go downstairs to the birth center, or there weren't enough rooms, so they didn't have staff. So, and I'd seen this as a doula. It was really difficult to actually get in, and I didn't want to take the chance. So I went with a home birth, um, which was great and long, and <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like I knew a little. Sometimes I felt like I knew too much that during the birth, I knew it was progressing very slowly. So I kept asking questions um, and I was aware that it was slow. So I wanted to work with my body. Um, I also knew that had I been in a hospital, I likely would have ended up with a C-section because it was so long and because I pushed for so long. So that was interesting that that affected that. But what was also interesting is that with all the work I had done, And all the yoga, I hadn't really considered how much exercise I was doing and how that affected my body. And I think it was actually for a detriment. So then that experience changed the way I approach teaching the yoga, teaching the asana. So it all kind of intertwines my personal experience and my education and the yoga. Um, And then hopefully the students are now getting the benefit of all that.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. I would like to touch on real quick the point that you made of the physical movement with your body and the physical fitness and how that may have been at detriment. Why do you think so? Or what was your experience of that?
2: Well, I... It's, I kind of shake my head and like, really, Deb, you didn't think about this. Um, so I remember I was really crazy into spin class then. And I remember my spin teacher saying like, oh, for some reason, all my spinners end up with a C-section. I'm like, that's not going to be me. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I teach yoga. Um, and it totally, <laughs> totally would have been me um, had I not had a midwife that was checking my blood pressure, checking my baby's heart rate, and everything was fine but i was too tight so the pelvic floor should be kind of buoyant and springy as opposed to hyper or hypotonic hypertonics when it's too tight and hypotonics when it's too flaccid and with all the spinning i did and i was also a dancer for many years and all the yoga i really tightened up the pelvic floor where my baby's head was slightly asynclitic so slightly tipped and because my psoas was so tight my pelvic floor was so tight um, uh, it really prevented for the baby to descend and rotate well. And it took a long time and a very patient birth posse, my little birth team, mm-hmm. and work to help get the optimal fetal position. Wow. So I think, and it's kind of surprised me with like with a midwife and an OB and a Doula and my background that none of us said, Hey, she's on the spin bike five days a week. Maybe we should examine that. Um But, and I worked, I had a ton of physical therapy after because I pushed for so long. And because I learned from that, I now work with my students. I'm like, we need to work on balancing your pelvis, on not overly tightening, on having suppleness to your pelvis so that baby can descend and rotate and not be in an an unoptimal position. So I feel like had I not had that experience and had a really easy birth, my whole teaching would be different. And I remember speaking with, um, Pam England from birthing within, from within, I'm sure you know that book. And she said she had a really hard first birth. She had a cesarean and she was a home birth midwife. And that changed her. And I kind of feel like my really challenging birth where I really had to kind of face myself and be like, what happened? Why did you do all this? That changed my path of teaching.
0: That's really cool. And what, you know, that brings up for me is I'm sure there are moms listening who are pregnant, who want to be active or maybe maintain what they were doing before they were pregnant. I I guess this is what I would think to tell them, but I'm curious what you would suggest is to just make sure one, obviously that you're doing what feels right with your body and maybe seeking feedback from those around you who have experience and have the knowledge from a mama care based center. And then also the wellness to just give some tips or give some feedback on how you can create a balanced approach to that, you know, stay active, do what makes you feel great. And then also be mindful of preparing your body in the most effective way to have a, you know, joyful and easeful as, as possible birth.
2: Yeah. I call it functional birth because Mm, I like that. If the pelvis is well-balanced, I never want to say easy because I didn't think birth was particularly easy, um, but <laughs> I think it's functional. And I think the bigger thing is what I had to sit with is why was I doing that? Why ah. was I doing so much? And I see this a lot with um, yogis that have a lot of pride in their practice, spent years building it, dancers. In fact, we get a lot of um, professional ballet dancers, because we're so close to Lincoln Center. And they are so pulled up and so tight, and they have to really consciously work on relaxing. But for me, you know, I was really trying to maintain this body image that I had in my mind. And I was just exercising too much. So for my second pregnancy, I had to allow myself that it's okay to let my body change more than the Hollywood images that I was trying to attain and sadly did, but to the detriment of my body and my birth. So I think we also have to look at, what's driving behind all the exercise.
0: Absolutely. You know, some of that mental, emotional, spiritual work, you know, that goes into yeah. the the process as well. So then how do you think your second birth was impacted by that shift in approach?
2: Well, I never got back on a spin bike okay. until, <laughs> recently. <laughs> until recently. And I worked with a PT and also, um, a physical therapist and also a chiropractor. So around week 36, I started to see a chiropractor that really worked on alignment and balance to make sure that my pelvic floor was balanced, it wasn't too tight, it wasn't too loose, to make sure my psoas, to make sure the round ligaments so I didn't have any sort of intrauterine constraints, so everything was really set so that my baby had the optimal chance to find the proper rotation and navigation out of the pelvis. And that it made a world of difference. So I approached my exercise very differently. And I gave myself the permission and I was also I was exhausted with the first child, but the permission to be a little kinder to myself and let go of the body image issue. And that was that was big for me.
0: That's beautiful. I I love that. And you know, that was your path. That was your journey and those were the lessons that you could glean from the first time around to then apply. And so I think just that allowing, I love to hear, and then just releasing of any sort of judgment. You know, that can be a time riddled with a lot of judgment cuz so so many things are changing. You're you're experiencing new things, you're taking on new roles. And so to just release some of that and own that your path is your path and you know, move on from there. I think is empowering in a way because you don't have to get stuck on on the
2: the things that don't serve you. Yeah, and I try to really work with that with my students, you know, especially because I see a lot of very Type A, and you know, I feel like I'm that too, Type A, coming in with a certain agenda of how they have to look and what they're allowing themselves to do. And I I try to use myself as, like you don't want to have the hard work. and if I remind them that. This may lead to a more dysfunctional, longer birth that's going to just um, create more problem on the other side of the healing. Most of the time, I think they hear that, that they'll, it will take longer to get back to what they want to do if they have to really heal their body and their pelvic floor.
1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: So I'm curious, moving into that that community and the people you serve and work with from the prenatal yoga center, you know, in your childbirth education and, and, and mm-hmm. training people who will support them. What are some of the biggest things that pop up in terms of what the needs are in that community or the areas for more support or education?
2: I think that childbirth education is huge for the beginning. And then afterward, it's the working into motherhood. I think, and, and again, I felt like I was guilty of this too. Like we spend a lot of time thinking about Kind of the external parts, like what kind of stroller am I gonna get? How am I gonna decorate the nursery? You know, well though I lived in one bedroom in New York City, so there wasn't much of a nursery. <laughs> but I feel like there is not enough time focused on what do I really want for my birth? How do I need support? What who do I even want in my birth posse? who did I pick the care provider that's going to support me best? Have I, have I looked at what birth means to me and the fears I might have around it? And I feel like that's often neglected until the very end, until like week, like 35, 36, when it's really kind of shiny people in the face, like, wow, this is really going to happen. So I think that's, uh, that's neglected, the actual education of the average person, um, for the exciting and the cute stuff like, how, you know, what kind of bedding am I going to get my baby? What kind of stroller? What kind of crib? So I think that that's neglected is the education. And uh, and so I try to support that as much as I can through my blog, through my podcast and just you know stories of the community. I, so that's something we really focus on. And I think something on the other side is kind of an honoring that motherhood is not like the movies and the books and stuff that it's hard. And it's okay to acknowledge that this is really hard and there's times that I don't love it and that's okay. So I try to give light to that side as well.
0: That's so big. That's huge. And to acknowledge, yes, I chose this. Yes, I love my child. Yes, I love my life. However, that doesn't mean I'm immune to feeling the weight of it at times or to be tired. It. <laughs> what was that?
2: and not loving it all the time. I I love the life I've built for myself. I love my family. And there's times, you know, when I'm exhausted and I'm like, I chose this, but I don't love it right now. And to be okay with that. Mm,
0: Yes. Yes. You, you mentioned the fears, the F (laughs) word in your, in your description of, you know, things to address and things to support people in. What are a lot of those fears that you hear? I mean, we talk about it a lot here on the show as well, Um, but I'm just curious in your experience, what are some of those? How do we address them? And um, I think the thing about fear, too, similar to acknowledging that there's things you won't love all the time, acknowledge that fear is okay. you know, that you don't have to judge the fact that you fear it's okay, and it's something
2: to move through yeah I think there's a few things about fear is is to let yourself find it. I call it kind of digging deep and and I hadn't really taken that in consideration until I started really getting into my doula work. So I remember really clearly it was the fifth birth I attended as a doula, and the woman had a really, really hard, tumultuous birth, and I was you know so fresh to this world too, and I didn't quite know how to support her. So I called my mentor and she's like, you know, just keep supporting her, do the best you can.' And so after, I think it was like almost two days, the woman had the birth that she didn't want. She wanted this natural birth in a birth center. She ended up with a cesarean. So a year later, she actually calls me in to have a talk and says that she had spent the last year in therapy trying to deal with her birth. And what she realized is during the birth, she had this massive fear of passing through the threshold from maiden to motherhood. That's what she had called it, kind of sing, not single, but like um, just she and her husband and that life of, I want to walk out the door. Sure, I can do that, as opposed to now I have a child and I need to deal with getting out the door, which is much harder. And the responsibility of being a parent terrified her. So that really showed me that we need to look deeper and really ask ourselves what are our, what are my fears and I've seen such an array I've seen from fear of the responsibility of being a mother. I've seen the fear as a doula. I've seen women work through the fear of how is my partner going to look at me watching me go through this birth experience, or is this going to change our relationship, or something? Even like you know, during the pushing stage, sometimes there's you know a bowel movement that can happen, and the fear of pooping during pushing. And my own fear was, what if I have that you know three day labor again? How am I going to face that? And so I actually had to talk to my midwife and be like what if that happens? And she's like, so what if it does happen? And she kind of turned the table back to me of looking at my fear and learning to deal with it. So I think taking the time and exploring it, while it may never actually get resolved, having your birth team know that something may come up so they can hear you and support you through it. Because if we continue if we have this overriding fear during labor, it can actually really derail labor because of the the hormones that we need not to have involved and the hormones we do need involved. Does that make
0: sense? Yes, absolutely it does. And I think that's extremely powerful to explore it and almost like, you know, peeling back the onion layers and following up each question with a question because it just there's something until you hit the core of what it is and you feel that, ah, here, we've arrived at something, you know, there's, there's still things to uncover, you know, because I think it's not just the fear it's what we make the fear mean. So what if you do have a bowel movement in birth or what if your relationship is changed with your husband in some way, because it is probably going to change, but it's how you think it's going to change. It's what we make the fear mean that paralyzes us, you know, rather than just having the fear because then something probably at the core of that is that we are not worthy of something or that, uh, our own inadequacies or whatever are just manifesting through our fears.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then to have your, well, again, while you may never resolve it, having those that will be supporting you Mm -hmm. during the labor have some sense of what it is. And even just acknowledging like, yes, that I hear you, we're going to work through this. It's okay. Cause you're not, you know, in the middle of labor, you're not going to resolve it. But to have that awareness so that it doesn't paralyze the mom, because it absolutely can't have seen it. You know, if there's too much adrenaline, that's going to not allow the oxytocin to function. And then we're going to start kind of that cascade of, okay, now I have to get the Pitocin. So we need the hormones. Um, Dr. Sarah Buckley talks about like the undisturbed birth, that if we don't have the normal hormone pattern or normal blueprint of hormones, and fear is overriding that, we're really going to kind of slide down, um, away from a functional birth and fear is such a big role in that. Love
0: Sarah Buckley. Love her. I I know she was on your show. We've had her on our show. Um, her book, gentle birth, gentle mothering was probably the only book I read in full, you know, from beginning to end during my pregnancy. Cause I just didn't want to read too many things. Um, but yeah, love, love that.
2: (laughs) to acknowledge, you know, if we do let fear override, it's really in anything, whether it's birth or, you know, just walking across the street, like it's going to paralyze us and not allow us to actually really live our experience. Right. Yeah.
0: Cause then that's when you kind of end up with the hangover, I guess, or the, you know, needing to work through an experience for a year, like the, the woman whose yeah. birth you witness, you know, needing to take that time to kind of go back and pick up the pieces. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so you you are able through your work and through these um channels that you're involved in, you're able to touch a lot of people, I imagine, through the center, through the podcast and your childbirth education. What what's that like? Or how, you know, is it is it just normal for you? Is it is it just a, a normal Tuesday?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's it is such an honor. And you know, I still get teary when I read the birth stories or I, you know, it's just something like or someone talks to me about the influence that PYC or one of my podcasts had on them and to let, you know, there's so many voices that can come into one's experience and to know that someone has chosen to come to my center and to listen to the voice that we put forward. It's just, it again, honor. Like I'm just so humbled that my words make a difference to someone and that they're choosing to spend time with at PYC or listen to the podcast or read the blog or whatever it is. So yeah, I, I still get very moved when I hear that. And wow. I don't take it for granted because again, there's so many people they could listen to.
0: Right, right. What's one of the, the biggest changes or impacts you'd like to leave in the birthing world and community through what you're doing? Oh goodness. Um, I know that's I guess,
2: big. <laughs> I guess it's to trust yourself and be okay when you're not perfect. And just to recognize that we're all in this we're all on this journey that we do, and while our birth may not be perfect and our mothering skills may not be perfect, we're all just trying our best, and we're just trying to support each other. Um, I don't know if that answers it I yeah,
0: <laughs> I think that's great because I think if more of us were wearing that on and we're kind of imbuing that, then you know, maybe wouldn't we wouldn't have less fear, but we'd have healthier ways to address fear, um you know postpartum support would be more comprehensive and more uh rich. You know, I, I think by by just simply working on your own internal space and, you know, loving yourself, being clear on your visions for your birth and beyond, you know, motherhood, everything as a woman, um, you know, when we change our internal worlds, that has ripple effects and impacts to everything around us. And then I think through through mothers and, and pregnant women who we're being, that's going to influence, you know, the narrative. It's going to influence the type of care we demand and create.
2: Uh, You know, it's all related. It's all um, connected. And allowing our own personal voice to be heard and being, you know, that autonomy that I see so often taken away during birth. And even in motherhood, people telling you what you should or shouldn't do, just owning the fact that this is my life and I'm, I'm, I have a say in it and I'm doing the best I can. And, you know, I see that I'm sure you do as a new mother too. people always telling you what you should or shouldn't do. You know, we're all just trying our best for our child. No one's really out there thinking like, how can I mess them up? You know, so, or, you know, and same with birth, like we're all just trying to have an experience that's going to have a meaningful impact on us, not feel that we've scarred ourselves or our children. Yes. Very,
0: very well said. (laughs) what, um, what are ways that people can connect with what prenatal yoga center is doing? And of course the podcast and everything, but if you're not in New York, are there still ways to be involved with PYC?
2: Yes. So the podcast, um, is on iTunes and stitcher as well as our website, which is prenatalyogacenter.com. And the podcast is called yoga birth babies. So the podcast, you can listen to that and hear a lot. I also have a blog I've been doing for about 12 years. There's hundreds of entries on that. Uh, and then I also have some online videos. Um, and then my latest thing I've been doing for those that are yoga teachers is I've been taking, we offer, um, our 85 hour yoga Alliance certified program twice a year in New York, but we've been taking it on the road. Actually, um, last weekend I was just in Charlotte, North Carolina. So yoga teachers can look for ways to study the PYC methodology and study with me. So take a peek at our website for where we're going to be next year.
0: That's amazing. First of all, to comment, you've been blogging for twelve years. I mean, before blogging was cool. That's <laughs> yeah, I was
2: terrified actually.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. And then <laughs> yeah. I love the piece about yoga for um, uh, training for yoga teachers. So, can you just touch on for a second what sure. what makes it different about? yoga that is geared specifically towards the the pregnant body and that experience you know rather than what you kind of alluded to earlier you had made some modifications early on but you weren't really you know oh yeah addressing yeah. that experience what's the difference there
2: well, I feel like there's many types of like sometimes prenatal yoga, as I mentioned, is just like modifications. Oh, you're pregnant. Let's just you can't do this, this, and this. Our training program, based on the three main prongs of our teacher train our teaching, which is the asana, but the uh, the yoga poses. I look at how can these poses. Help support the pregnant body so it's a functional birth. So, what are we going to do to help find balance in the pelvic floor, balance in the pelvis, and then just enjoyment in the body and like deal with the aches and pains? But we also use the asana to look at physical and emotional challenges. You know, I want you to safely be uncomfortable in a pose so that you can start to explore when I'm uncomfortable. What do I do? How do I do it? What's, what's my natural reaction? Do I get down on myself? Do I get tight? Can I find breath? Can I find a mantra? Can I learn to relax? So the asana is really just a vehicle to work deeper. Um, And then we also intertwine a lot of childbirth ed. Being a doula and Lamaze teacher, I think that's paramount for really getting the foundation of education very early. So we interweave childbirth education into all our classes. Not like we just sit down and talk about it, but like it's interwoven about different themes, about different birthing positions so that people can start to digest this very early. And then we also work on community, about how to create and support a community because people may not have family around, or maybe they do have family, but their family's not supportive, or maybe they don't have friends that are going through this. So I think it really stands out by how much childbirth education and empowerment and autonomy we try to build in the class.
0: That's incredible. I love that. Like you said, really one-stop, shop. I mean, you're not just getting your, your down dog, you're (laughs) getting everything. That's so great. And so what's on the horizon for you? Are you kind of hanging out right now where you are, or are you looking towards what's next?
2: You know, starting to look at building some online courses that those that are not in the city or those that can't make the bigger teacher trainings. Um, especially so for teachers, I want to do an online course of, what do you do when you have a pregnant student come into your class? You can't just ignore them. You know, so here are some ways to address that. And then for the pregnant mom, I want to do, I already have taped four one-hour classes that I'm going to bundle into some other childbirth education and some of the tools that I work with. So I've got that in the beginning stages. I'm excited to get that that part of the, the, um, the online part going with our website. So it's another another hat to put on.
0: Cool. And I can tell you're excited just the, by the way you know, I know you talk about it. I can I can feel it. So I'm excited too and I'll hold that vision and intention for you cuz I think it'll be awesome. Thank you. Deb, thank you so much. You are fantastic and just I have so much experience and knowledge, you know, a nice balance of what what you've experienced yourself through your birth work and then your own birth and pregnancies and family, and then, you know, how you're extending it and spreading it beyond. So it's just really wonderful. And, um, I'm going to include links to every which way to connect with you from prenatal yoga center, the website, the podcast, and anything else you want me to throw in there, I will put for listeners, um, over at diahpodcast.com. So you can check out that and connect with Deb, but Um, just thank you again. You're wonderful. Thank
2: you. I really loved being on here. I really appreciate your time.
0: Note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood.
1: Does your father know you're listening to this podcast?